Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I have taught this lesson in some form before, but have not been able to get away from it all week and feel very much the Lord wants me to teach it this morning. I am by nature somebody who doesn't like to preach or teach lessons that fit in with certain calendar dates. It sort of goes against my grain to preach a Christmas message just because it's Christmas. But this message is correct, is connected very directly to this Easter weekend and so we're going to trust that the Lord wants us to understand these things today. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, if you do not know the context well, and we will probably pick out a few passages from here as we go along, is sometimes known as the resurrection chapter. And it, it underlines to us the importance of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and how that fits in his kingdom, how that fits with his word and, and what that is all about. And so we're going to read the first four verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and starting at verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel or the good news which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Amen. The title of my lesson or message this morning is, Why the Resurrection Matters. Why the Resurrection Matters matters amen this weekend on our calendar across much of the western world at least uh, together with the christmas period often causes people to stop and think about jesus Uh, it can be from a very traditional perspective it's something sometimes people the only time they go to church in a year is on easter sunday or in in some sort of a christmas service and I'm, i'm glad they go to church but i would I would propose to you today that being in church twice a year is not a demonstration of a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. But it is tradition that people go to church this weekend and in some form, whether they genuinely believe it or it is simply just a custom, they acknowledge the idea that around 2,000 years ago a man named Jesus rose from the dead. That this was even possible has been disputed many, many times since that day. Probably will be until the day when he comes himself and removes all doubt. When he comes back, the arguments will be finished. The debates will be over. The questions will no longer be answered because the Bible says that every eye shall see him. There will come a time when everybody will stand before him and they will know he certainly rose from the dead. Paul wrote to us in the first four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, And in those verses, he says that the essence or the substance, the real, where the rubber meets the road, if you like, of the gospel is the fact that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. He told the church at Corinth, he said, this is what I preached to you. This is the message that I brought to you. He said that they received it. He said that they continued to stand in that message and he said it's by that message that we are saved. And it is this complete package 
of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives our faith meaning, it gives it purpose, and as we've sung about this morning, it gives us hope. Amen. It is this death, burial, and resurrection which is why we come here week in, week out, which is why we take our direction in our lives from the Word of God, not simply from the fads and tendencies and philosophies that are ever-changing in the society that we live in, but rather from the Word of God which tells us itself that it is settled in heaven forever. The Lord said He does not change, and so we go back to His Word regardless of whether society is close to it or a million miles from it. His Word and our hope is the reason we live the way that we live. Amen. Very easy for us rationally to accept that someone special or significant in history died and was buried. That's not a hard thing to believe. That's the normal course of life. This is the experience of every person. The scripture says it's appointed unto man once to die. But when we claim, or rather more importantly, when the word of God claims that Jesus rose from the dead never to die again, this is another matter altogether. This is unique. There is no other situation. There are, there are times that we may touch on some of those where there, there is resurrection. There are people that have been brought back from the dead, but there is nobody else like Jesus who can claim to not only have been resurrected from the dead, but to never go back there again. Amen. And one of the questions that's important we understand is, does it really matter? Does it matter whether or not Jesus came back from the dead? And I would declare as emphatically as I am able to today, absolutely yes, it matters. Amen. It is not enough to simply say that the teachings of Jesus are good for us to follow as some sort of a wise man or a rabbi or some historical guru that his philosophies are beneficial to mankind and society, and they are. When society is based upon scriptural principles, society benefits from them. But it is not enough to say that because Jesus did not come simply to change behavior. He came to save souls. He came to deal with the sin issue that every person that's ever breathed is born into this world with. He didn't come just to say, well, if you'll be nice people or you'll treat other people nicely and do this and do that. All of those things are a product of what he provided. But they are not the reason that he came. Amen. He came to save our souls. And so I want to consider some of the reasons this morning why the resurrection is so vitally important. The first thing is that the resurrection was necessary to confirm who Jesus claimed he was. Throughout his ministry, Jesus spoke of his father. He spoke of being the son of God. In John chapter 8, there is a powerful conversation that's recorded. And in this, in this dialogue, this interaction, Jesus is, I guess, debating is perhaps or disputing with these Pharisees that constantly challenge his identity, that constantly challenge the things he stood for, they challenge his teaching, they challenge the things that he did. Even when he did the miraculous, they challenged him. They wanted to find a way to discredit him, basically, so it came down to the fact that they didn't have to believe. They didn't like the fact that if they acknowledged who he was, it then impacted what they were. 
And he declares unto them in John chapter 8 that he is the Son of God. And then we'll read two verses from that chapter, John 8, 56 and 58. Jesus said, your father, Abraham. The Jews were very, very proud of their lineage. Very proud of being able to trace their generations back to the 12 tribes, to Jacob, to Isaac, and ultimately to Abraham. And Jesus said to them, your father, Abraham, rejoice to see my day. And he saw it and he was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Trying to reconcile the idea that this young man, who was really just entering the age of ministry in his early thirties, was somehow able to have an interaction with their patriarch who'd been dead for centuries. Jesus addressed their question in verse 58. He said, Verily, verily, or truly, Truly I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And we've taught from this passage many times. If you were at school today and you wrote that, they would say your grammar is not correct. You can't say before I am. You would have to say I was. But this is a unique situation. Because when Jesus made those words, he made that statement and said those words, before Abraham was, I am, every Jewish mind went back to a burning bush on the backside of the desert in the book of Exodus when God called Moses out of obscurity and said, I want you to set my people free. And he said, who shall I say has sent me? When they asked me, who sent you to us? The Lord said to Moses, tell them I am has sent you. I am that I am the self-existent one. And they understood that Jesus was claiming not just to be a man, but he was claiming to have been there speaking to Moses, speaking to Abraham, speaking to the patriarchs, not in his humanity, but very much in his divinity. In Acts, the second chapter, a wonderful message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, starting at verse 24, Peter said, whom God raised up, speaking of Jesus, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding over it. In other words, it was not possible that death could hold on to him. And we'll get into that in a little while. And verse 25 says, For David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice. My tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption he's talking about the grave when he uses the word hell there is thou hast made known to me the ways of life thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance peter when he's preaching this passage is quoted from the 16th psalm he's reaching back to a prophecy that david gave way back in the book of psalms and then he says in verse 29 when he finishes his his quote to the people that he's preaching to he says men and brethren Men and brethren, the ones he's talking to, he said, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher or his grave is with us. His tomb is still with us under this day. He said he he wasn't talking about himself because we know that his grave is still there. But in verse 30, he said, therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to to his flesh, or in other words, through the natural lineage of David's descendants, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. 
that his soul or that his body was not left in the grave, neither did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. He said David could not have been talking about himself. His body did see corruption. But prophetically, David wrote of Jesus, not really understanding everything that he wrote, but as the Spirit of God moved on him, he prophesied of the fact that the grave would not be able to hold the body of Jesus Christ. Amen. Because he wasn't staying in the ground. In fact, Peter said it was not possible for death to hold him. It was not possible for death to hold him. Why isn't it possible? Why wasn't it possible for death to hold the body of Jesus Christ? Because of who he is. 1 Corinthians 15 Verses 55 and 56, and there was definitely a theme in our worship this morning. I know that they would have picked that in line with this weekend, but some of these scriptures were referenced throughout our worship. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. So because Jesus was sinless, What does it say? It says that the sting of death or the consequences, the pain of death is because of sin. We are going to die in these natural bodies because of sin, because these bodies are corrupt because of sin. So that is what holds us to physical death. But because Jesus had no sin, there was no sting that could hold him. He was not bound to death because he was sinless. So he submitted himself to death, not because he had, he didn't have a choice. We don't have a choice. I don't care if you get on the healthiest lifestyle that there's ever been imagined. There is coming a day that we will bury you. So you might as well enjoy some good food along the way. Amen. That's not from the scripture. That's just from me. But it does not matter how healthy you are or you are not, these bodies will die because we are still under that grip of the consequences of sin in these natural bodies. But Jesus chose to submit himself to death because he was paying a price for us. But he couldn't, death could not hold him there because there was no sin to justify holding him there. That's why he was able to rise again death could not hold him down and if jesus did not rise again then his claims would be lies the old testament prophecy would be lies and the entire bible would be without credibility in fact i would go as far as to say the veracity or the the truthfulness of the word of god if we are going to trust that scripture is true then the resurrection must be true because if the resurrection is true, then the word of God is false. So if the resurrection is not true, then the word of God is false. Jesus fulfilled prophecy throughout his life, in his death, and in his living again. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 1, says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Let me tell you, if you've been born again of water and spirit, you are separated under the gospel of God. Verse 2, which he had promised afore or before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according 
to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection was a part of the declaration that Jesus was the Son of God. It underlined, it confirmed his identity. When he claimed, when he made statements like, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up, when it actually happened, it confirmed what he said, it confirmed who he was, and it's why we have confidence in what we believe. Amen. Amen. Another reason the resurrection is so important is that it was significant in that it had never, ever happened like this before. There had certainly been other people that had been raised from the dead. You read scripture, there are multiple examples. But every one of them that was raised from the dead, whether we go back to the Old Testament, whether we look at Lazarus in the New Testament, every one of them when they came back out of the grave still had the same corrupt body. When when the Lord by His power raised them from the dead, the clock began to tick again until they would die. But Jesus, Jesus rose with a glorified body that would never taste death again. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. That expression, He is the firstfruits or the first one to rise again in this matter. Being the firstfruits means that there's more to follow Him. It means that he is the first demonstration of what's happened. In, in the harvest, in the Jewish system, they had offerings of the first fruits of the things. When f- the, the crops would bring forth that which was first, they would give that to God. But then there was the rest of the harvest that would follow. Jesus was the first fruits from the dead. If we're in his body, if we're born again of water and spirit, we are the rest of the harvest that will follow. He went first and we are encouraged to be ready to follow him. Amen. Amen. The resurrection is significant because it is a part of our faith in God unto salvation. 1 Corinthians 15 and 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? It would seem in this church at Corinth there was dispute about whether or not the resurrection actually happened. Then Paul says in verse 13, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain or it's empty? And your faith is also vain. Yea or yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. So without the resurrection of Jesus, we are still dead in our sins. Amen. Because if he did not rise again as he said he would, as I said before, then he is not who he claimed to be. Then our sins are not forgiven. And we're actually false witnesses. We're telling a story that didn't actually happen. Amen. I don't want to be in that situation. Whenever I say about the Lord, I want to line up with His Word. I want it to be true. Even the Jews believed in the resurrection of the dead. They knew from from the time that they were taken out as a people that that, that God had the power to raise the dead. When Abraham, if you read the story in your own time in Genesis, I think it's chapter 22, Abraham was willing to take his only son Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice unto the Lord He was confident that if he went through with it, that God could raise him up. 
He believed in the resurrection of the dead. And in Hebrews 11 and verse 19, referring back to that, speaking of Abraham, it says, accounting that God was able to raise him up. In other words, he had faith to trust God, that even if he offered his own son as a sacrifice, God could raise him up even from the dead. And he said, from whence also he received him in a figure. That's King James' language was saying what happened was almost like he did get him back from the dead. He was willing to go that far that when God gave him back his son, it was a figure or a type of his son being resurrected from the dead. Amen. The story of Lazarus found in John chapter 11. Mary, Martha and Lazarus were close personal friends of Jesus. Jesus gets a message that Lazarus is sick and everybody thinks that he will rush to go to Lazarus to pray for him and to heal him because they were pretty used to Jesus healing the sick. But Jesus deliberately delays. He stalls. You know, we have to trust God sometimes that his timing is not our timing. Sometimes things get worse before God steps in. He doesn't always come when we want him to. The old song says he doesn't come when you want him, but he's always right on time. When his will is ready, he will show up. Our job is to trust him. And in John chapter 11, starting at verse 21, it says, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. It depends how you read that. It almost has a slight accusatory tone to it. Lord, if you had bothered to come a little earlier, we might not have buried my brother. But then she said, but I know that even now, whatever you ask of God, God will give thee. And Jesus said unto her, your brother will rise again. Martha, much like Abraham, is thinking down the track. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day, down the road. But Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't just say, I can resurrect people. He said, I am the resurrection. I am the source of that power. Within him was the ability to defeat death, hell, and the grave. The Lord said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. That's not talking about your natural life. That's talking about your soul. We've already established, I hope, that if the Lord tarries, we're all going to die. But death has no sting when you're born again of water and spirit. The Lord said, did you believe this? And she said, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Martha did not understand all of what Jesus was saying. But for hundreds and hundreds of years, men and women of faith had died hanging on to the promise that God would raise them up at the last day. But Jesus was making that last day resurrection possible by being the first one to rise from the dead and never die again. All of the patriarchs in the Old Testament or all of the heroes of faith could not rise from the dead until he was the first fruits, until he went before them and made it possible. He raised Lazarus from the dead right then and there. They went to the tomb, they rolled away the stone, he called him out, he miraculously came out, resurrected from the dead, and he made that statement that he was the resurrection and the life. Jesus was not simply talking about reversing the illness that had killed his friend. He was talking about eternal life, he was talking about being able to make a way where he could reverse the consequences of sin. 
and deal with that once and for all and take away that issue that held men captive for as long as there had been mankind. Romans chapter 8. I know there's a lot of scripture, but it's important we get it from the Word of God. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 8. The Apostle Paul said, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, it's conditional, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. That's the question you have to be able to answer. Does the Spirit of God dwell in me? Acts chapter 19, it's not in my slides, but Acts chapter 19, Paul comes to Ephesus. He finds certain disciples and the very first question he asks them is, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? He didn't get caught up with all the other stuff. He just said, this is a question I've got to ask you. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Amen. It's important. We have to be able to ask that question. Does the Spirit of God dwell in me? Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, or we do not belong to him. And if Christ be in you, then the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, what did Jesus say? I am the resurrection and the life. The spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells or lives in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead shall also quicken or make your mortal bodies alive by his spirit that dwells or lives in you. Therefore, brethren, we are dead as not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. If you stay in your sins, you will die, not just physically, but spiritually. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. There's a lot in that passage that I'm not going to get into in depth this morning, but the the points I want to really draw our attention to is that you must be filled with the Holy Ghost. You must have the Spirit of God living in you. It must be that which guides us. It must be that which leads us. It must be that which deals with us and causes us to change. Because if we do not have the Spirit of God, the Scripture says we are none of His. But if we have the Spirit of God, it makes us alive spiritually now and when He returns for His church. Amen. It is so important that we have the Holy Ghost. It is not enough just to have some kind of mental acknowledgement that we believe in God. We must be filled with the Spirit of God. Amen. That's not popular. It goes against the theology and the philosophy of a lot of Christianity. But the Word of God says... Except you are born again of water and spirit. You cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. We must be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. It is not an automatic thing that happens when you believe like some people preach. I wish it was. But the Bible talks about how God promised that he would pour it out. There is a point in history in Acts chapter 2. But just like this glass of water, which I'm not going to pour on the carpet. Where God poured his spirit out. Scripture describes it as living water. 
describes us as earthen vessels. We are jars of clay that until we are filled with his spirit, we do not have that life in us. But once we are filled with the Holy Ghost, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, amen, this is the resurrection and the life. This is the resurrection that we are looking for when Jesus comes back. We don't know when that is. The Bible makes it clear that nobody does know. So if anybody tells you they do, they're automatically a liar. But when Jesus returns, Scriptures tell us that there's going to be some that are already gone on. They're already in the grave. They're waiting for his return. There's going to be some that are alive when he comes back. But when he does come back, it is going to be that activation of that spirit. It's going to be that final act of the Holy Ghost in this life where we will go to be with him forever. First Corinthians, again, chapter 15. I haven't read it all because it's a long chapter. But verse 51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die. But we shall all be changed. He's talking to the church in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. There's no boarding call for when Jesus comes back. The boarding call is your Bible. The boarding call is the word of God. When you hear the preached word of God, it is that message, that warning, the first and final boarding call. Get ready. Get in the queue. Get ready. Do whatever it takes. You know, I, I traveled last week for the first time in 12 months. It was kind of weird, but I went into, I went from Western Australia to South Australia, from South Australia to the Northern Territory, from the Northern Territory back to South Australia, and then back to Western Australia. And at every airport, I had to have a pass for every state government. I had to remember which one I had to show at which airport just to tell, persuade them that I didn't have COVID. Here in Perth, they took my temperature. They make you wash your hands. They, they're very thorough. There are rules. But, you know, if you are asleep and you miss your boarding call, that nearly happened to me once. I've been traveling somewhere. I was very weary. Sat down in the, the, the seats near the gate and I just passed out. They called the flight. I'm gone. A kind, random stranger fortunately came over and said, excuse me, are you on this flight? I went, yes, I am. And I, I managed to not be too embarrassed and missed the flight completely. That would have been embarrassing. Going up to the counter and saying, is there another flight? I slept through the boarding call. It is our job to announce the boarding call. That Jesus is coming back for his church. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you've got your paperwork in order, if I can use that parallel, he's not looking for COVID apps and temperature checks. He's looking for his people that are washed in his blood, filled with his spirit, ready for when that trumpet sounds. Amen. The dead shall be raised. Verse 52, the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, say, that's me, must put on incorruption. That's what I'm going to be. And this mortal, that's me now, must put on immortality. That's what I'm going to be. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore... Or because of this, because he's defeated death, because his blood has paid the price for my sin, because he's taken the sting out. 
I've been to a number of funerals. One of the things about funerals is the longer the live, the more of them you get to go to. Without being insensitive this morning, there's a very different feeling when you go to a funeral for somebody that never knew the Lord and you go to a funeral for somebody that was baptized in his name and filled with his spirit. There's still sorrow because there's family that are grieving for loved ones, but there is hope because at that moment that mortal is ready when the trumpet comes back to put on immortality. You know, if you die in Christ, doesn't matter how long you have to wait for his return. There's no more temptation. There's no more struggle. You're just ready and waiting for that boarding call. I said, because of this, Paul said, because of what he's done, my beloved brethren, verse 58, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Don't go for a walk off through the airport buying some tourist nonsense. Always abounding in your work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. What does unmovable mean? Unmovable in this setting in the original means don't move away from this hope. Don't wander from the hope that we have. The promise of resurrection power is ours. Don't move away from that. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, and I'm not too far from being done. Daniel said, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The Bible makes it very clear that there are consequences for sin. The consequences for unaddressed sin is death, both natural and spiritual. That's why the cross was necessary. That's why we have communion from time to time to remember what Jesus was willing to do for us. But without the resurrection, all we have is death and a grave. See, crucifixion was not rare in the first century. In fact, when you look at history, there were mass crucifixions. It was not a rare thing. It was a common method of punishment and execution. But what made Jesus different was that he was sinless and he did not stay in the grave. Amen. Without the resurrection, the death of Jesus would have been just another statistic in Rome's occupation of Israel. But Jesus told his disciples, he said, I'm going to die. He said, but he, he also told them he would rise again. They knew that he'd made those claims. They put guards on his tomb. I'm pretty sure that when they buried the criminals that day, they didn't put Roman soldiers on their tombs. But this man spoke about coming back from the dead and they, they put soldiers to guard his tomb. But he rose anyway. Amen. He rose again. He defeated death anyway. And in Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Is it right for us to keep sinning because of the grace of God? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Paul is telling us that just because it was through grace that we're saved doesn't mean that we can keep, continue to live lives of sin. We are to be dead to sin. Verses 3 and 4 lets us know that repentance and baptism into Jesus Christ or in the name of Jesus Christ is our spiritual death and burial, just as he died and was buried. But it also says that just as he was raised from the dead, we should also walk in a new life. We read Romans 8, 11 already, but if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in these mortal bodies. Amen. 
That resurrection power is what you are filled with when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we've seen several people in recent weeks filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and they can tell you it is different to what they were like before. It is not the same. There is something powerful that happens when you are filled with the Spirit of God. Amen. It's not some automatic thing that happens with mental ascent, but it is a transforming, renewing by the power of the Spirit of God. Amen. I want to challenge you, if I can, this morning. If you've never repented of your sins, if you've never died to your old life, you need to start with that today. If you have repented, but you've never been buried in Jesus' name, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, then you're not born again the way the Scripture says you should be. That might be confronting. That might cut against everything that you've trusted in, but we must trust in His Word. Amen. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the resurrection power. That's what the story of the Easter weekend is all about. It's not just an annual public holiday. We're out of ritual, we go to church and we tip our hats to a religious tradition. The Easter weekend is the story of how one man defeated death and made a way where there was no way. It's the story of how he became a door that would give us an opportunity to pass from death into life. He was the first fruits. Nobody had ever risen from the dead never to return to the grave like Jesus In the Gospel of John, I think it's about chapter 13, Jesus said to Peter, he said, where I'm going now, you can't follow me. He said, you'll follow me later. When you read the context, it would seem that Jesus was talking to Peter about he was about to suffer and that Peter wasn't able to face that yet, but that Peter would suffer for him later. But he was also telling Peter that he had to go prepare the way into eternity before Peter could follow him home. Amen. This morning, the Lord wants all of us to follow him home. That's why the resurrection matters. That's why it matters that Jesus came back from the dead because if he did not, then we are wasting our time. If he did not rise again, then I should not have set an alarm this morning. I should not have got up and prayed. I should not have bothered coming here. I should have stayed home, had a late lion and a big breakfast and just relaxed. But I'm here this morning because I believe he came back from the dead. I'm here this morning because that is my hope. Because regardless of what happens out there, I believe he's coming back. And it's not necessarily, it'd be nice for some people if he came back on the Easter weekend. Maybe he will. I don't know. He hasn't told me. And if somebody tells me, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be him. But I believe he's coming back for us. That's why the resurrection matters. You know, in Isaiah chapter 53, it's not on my slides. It's a powerful, powerful chapter. It speaks to us of the suffering of Jesus. It's some 700 or so years before Jesus was born. And Isaiah was probably one of the most prolific messianic prophets or a prophet that wrote so much about the coming Messiah. And Isaiah 53 is where it prophesied of how he would be wounded for our transgressions, how he would be bruised for our iniquities, of how it was with his strife that we would be healed of how he was brutally mistreated and yet he opened not his mouth. And then late in the chapter it makes a statement. It says that he was numbered with the transgressors. They crucified him between two criminals. 
That's how lowly they rated him. They crucified him between two criminals, one on the left hand and one on the right hand. Men that at least, we may have varying opinions, but at least according to the law of the day, deserve their consequences. And one of them, in his anger at his situation, in the the rage that he felt for the punishment that was being put on him, almost abusively calls out to Jesus and said, if you really are who you say you are, save yourself and us at the same time. And then the thief on the other side, the criminal on the other side says, you know, what are you saying? He said, we deserve where we are. We, we broke the law. Whatever it was they did, you know, there's different opinions of whether they were just thieves or thieves that had killed somebody or whether or not the Romans simply crucified. There's a whole lot of opinions. That's not really relevant. The point is they were there because of crimes they'd actually committed. He was there accused of things that he'd never done wrong. They had to produce false witnesses against the Lord. And this other criminal says, we've done the wrong thing. We deserve it, but this man is innocent. I don't know how he knew. I don't know how he was persuaded that Jesus was innocent of all charges. But he turned to the Lord and he simply, in an act of desperation, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Now, I I could get off track and talk about the timing of all of that, but that's not what this lesson is about this morning. The point is you and I are either going to be one thief or the other. We're either going to be the one that rails on him from our anger at our own situation or we're going to be the other one that recognizes very clearly that we're guilty and cries out in hope. I'd like you to stand with me if you would this morning, if I could have a musician, please. The resurrection is not just an Easter story. It's not just one weekend where we stop and pause and move on. The resurrection is our hope. The resurrection is why we are here. There, we, one of the songs we sang mentioned the chasm that was between us and God, the, that gap caused by sin that not one of us could cross and yet somehow in His power the Spirit of God moved on a young virgin by the name of Mary, caused her to become pregnant with the Christ child. He would be born. He would be like nobody else. He would be in the likeness of sinful flesh, but not sinful. He would be God and he would be man. He would be king of kings and he would be our kinsman redeemer. And he would make a gap, make a bridge, make a connection in his humanity between the creator of all things and sinful humanity being connected to both. And when he died... His disciples lost hope. They were scattered. They were confused. But then he appeared to them again, resurrected in all his... And up to, the Bible tells us that at least at one time, 500 people saw the resurrected Christ. That's our hope. If he's dead, then all of this is pointless. But if he's alive, then this is our hope this morning. He's coming back. We don't deserve our salvation any more than the thief on the cross did. But if we will cry out to him, Lord, forgive me. He's merciful. He's gracious. And as we worship him this morning, wherever you're at today in your walk with God, wherever you find yourself in this place, if you've not even begun a walk with God, today's a good place to begin. 
Why not start on Easter Sunday? Why not take advantage of the hope that he's provided? Why not say, Lord, your word says that I'm a sinner, that the sting of death still has me in its grip, but you've paid that price. I want that hope, Lord Jesus. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, there's no reason to put that off. There is no reason to put that off except for the need for genuine repentance. If you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, God wants to fill you with his spirit, with that resurrection power that stirs in us as the Spirit of God moves on us and through us. But we've got to surrender to Him this morning. So as we worship Him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come and pray. You can come to the front, you can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, whatever you're comfortable with. Just say, God, I want that hope. I want to be there on that day when you come back. I want to have that resurrection power living inside of me. Not because I deserve it, but by Your grace and by Your mercy by the fact that you were willing to take my place, to take on flesh, die and suffer and rise again on the third day.